Hey there, everybody. Hello and welcome to Killer Serials. I'm Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. And uh, we're a couple dudes with PhDs in theology who talk about television. What what could make more sense than that? What and could go we wrong? Are... <laughs> we're going to dive into Rectify 406. I want to make a quick Killer Serial recommendation for this sure. Halloween season. Uh, coming out of left field, La Revolution, a French thriller drama shades of horror uh basically like the french revolution with the undead it's quite good i'm about three episodes in it's an eight episode limited theory did did you say where it's streaming where we can see it netflix netflix beautifully shot beautifully shot great great actors none of whom i think i've seen before but uh i i sense that and i look i could be wrong but I sense that it's a COVID pickup for Netflix. You know, there's so much um, international content there, foreign content, foreign language series that I just, yeah. I wonder if we yeah. would have seen, you know, a couple of years ago or last year, but I'm thankful for it. It's, it's great to see some fresh faces and some. Yeah, man. It's, it's one content. of the, sil- so it's one of the that. silver linings for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. yeah seeing some new stuff. We're, but, um, what about you guys? You watch anything yeah. outside of uh, Rectify? We continue to watch Broad Church, which is fantastic and is another like foreign pickup British uh, crime drama. And, you know, we're of course watching the new season of Great British Baking Show. So, and then my kids have gotten into watching that uh, Haunted Mansion show or whatever on Netflix. So, oh, I've the live episodes of that. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I love the aesthetics of those shows because it was after, I think it's uh, maybe a spinoff or a sequel to The Haunting of Hill House, but I am just such a big baby when it comes to uh, horror films of that genre, even All- though I love every every other thing about it. Yeah, this one's mainly just jump scares. You know, that's it's not like, it's yeah. not gory. My kids keep getting me to want, want me to watch Midsummer, but... Oh, it, you, got you got to, you got to, there's only, there's only two or three moments of gore and then the rest is just eerie. You know, what the hell is, yeah. what are we doing? What yeah. are we doing? Yeah. Look, we have just an exceptional Can you believe conversation. You're, you're in the, with you're in the, um, afterglow of, of podcast interviews. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some, I've had, on my other podcasts, I interviewed Rob Bell last week, and then this week I got to interview Luke Kirby for this podcast. Man, Which we had such spot? a great Which conversation with him. More? Uh, for this audience, <laughs> Luke I, Kirby. I put, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I, I can't wait to share it. Such, yeah, and we'll get to it in just a guy, few right? minutes, but oh my gosh, what such an awesome sweet, guy, sweet guy. And yeah. so su- nice super... Yeah, we're just really privileged. We, uh, you know, huge debt of gratitude to Scott Teams, whom you've heard on this podcast several times, for connecting us up with you know several other writers and actors from the series. Yeah. And yep. uh, to have Luke on was really fantastic. He's he was super gracious with his time, and 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 it turns out he listens to this podcast. So hey, Luke, hey, at least how's it going? Homework. He did his homework. <laughs> he is our one listener. <laughs> hey, listen, we've got a lot to talk about. We don't want to keep yeah. dear listener for 
too long, but there's so much to talk about. We, yeah. we really talked with Luke about kind of the series as a whole, a little bit about his career. And, mm-hmm. but we didn't want to just post just that interview because this was a really special episode in many ways. And I think there are probably two or three scenes, maybe two or three like relationships that we can highlight that, that kind of helps sum up the episode before we get to that interview. Yeah. This episode is 406. It's called uh, physics is the title. It's directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal who, you know, has, has really directed a lot of the very best episodes in this series, I think. And as you say, we see, as has been so often the case as this show has progressed, really the focus is on different pairing relationships, right? So uh, Teddy and Tawny and their relationship. Uh, We see Amantha and John. You know, the episode begins, Ryan, with Amantha and John Stern in the kitchen of, of the, uh, you know, of the house Samantha grew up in and has been kind of back and forth in through the course of the series. But that kitchen, of course, has been like kind of a set piece in its evolution because, of course, it was old and not updated. Daniel tore it apart and then Daniel bailed before it could be fixed up and Ted and Teddy were the ones who ended up remodeling the kitchen. And John sa- John Stern says something like this is my first time in this kitchen since it's been remodeled. You know, and and that I think it's clearly a metaphor um for the 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 evolution of this family is the evolution said, of this kitchen like and he says to Amantha I never thought I'd see it finished. Yeah, like Daniel made a big mess and then moved to Nashville and left. And others had to yeah. clean up his mess, Ted and Teddy in particular. Obviously, there's the Teddy and Tawny relationship. Obviously, we're seeing this burgeoning relationship between Daniel and Chloe. There's a lot going on in this episode in the relationship between Daniel and his mother, Janet. I mean, I could just go on and on. We, you know, even. Even the we talk about this with Luke Kirby, but the relationship between uh, John Stern and the DA Sandra Person, whom we have not seen in a long time, she's back on the scene now, and we even see a little Bobby Dean through like a video confession. Uh, so there's there's a lot of I'd say you know a lot of relationships one-on-one relationships, a lot of them romantic marriage relationships. Ted and Janet are both wondering if they're if their marriage is going to make it. One of the relationships that is not romantic but encompasses a romance in a sort is that the little bit of the triangle we see between Ted, Janet, and Chloe. And I thought this was a, a beautiful episode for those three characters specifically because I can't recall a, a scene between a child and a parent as moving as this in many of the shows that I've watched where Daniel and Janet have a real adult heart-to-heart conversation. And it's not perfect. They talk past one another, but they say just enough to potentially plant a seed for a new 
type of relationship to move into a new chapter of their life. I think I'd be interested to see what you think about that. But when he says, you know, when he's telling her to let go, he's telling her to to kind of move on, let him be, even though he doesn't know what that's going to look like or what he's going to be. I thought that was as kind of beautiful uh, a depiction of a child kind of separating from a parent. And it happens in this very unusual way because Daniel, of course, is not a child uh, anymore. He's not a kid. Yeah. And then, of course, he's trying to navigate what maybe potentially, even though it's also complex, what a new relationship might look like with Chloe. And I'll tell you, Chloe, <laughs> she is not a bullshitter. And right. she uh, she kind of reads. Uh, she reads Janet like a book and yeah. is unafraid to speak her mind. You know, when she says, do you ever think he'll be normal or whatever? And, she, and you know, she says, what is that to you, Janet? Like, what do you what do you yeah. even mean by that? And then, you know, she, of course, tells Daniel and you talked a little bit about this with Luke about his dire need for therapy and why he should go and knowing that that will drive him away potentially, but she knows that he needs to hear it because nobody else is going to tell him. Yeah. Ryan, here's what I found fascinating about this. And, and I think again, not, not, you know, we're always talking about kind of the, this, this subtle genius of Ray McKinnon, but you've got, okay. Janet has, treated Daniel with kid gloves ever since he's gotten out of prison, almost infantilized him, you know, like wondering where he is at night and, and worried that he can't manage in society. And then when he moves to Nashville, she can't stop thinking about him and she's constantly calling him and texting him. It's like some of the parents these days with their kids, when their kids go off to college. Um, Okay. So, We've got this funny dynamic where Daniel speaks truth to Janet at the the, the Parthenon, and it's actually uh, just a little side note. Uh, I've been there. It's a nine tenths replica of the Parthenon. It's not a full scale replica. Thank you. I was FYI. I was lying awake. Did you know that last night? Yeah, worried that something felt <laughs> off about that scene. Thanks. Okay, now I know. So they're at the, so they're at the nine tenths. Uh, they're at, yeah, they're at the nine-tenths replica of the Parthenon. And Daniel speaks truth to Janet and really lets her have it. Like, you have to let me go. And she's not, you know, she is not ready to hear that. And she gets defensive and she pushes back and she says, but how are you going to, you know, how will you make it if I'm not, you know, a helicopter parent, basically? Okay. You know what he says? And then. That's not your tables, problem. Well, I. Right. And then tables turn, Ryan. And and later in the episode, Chloe basically does the same thing to Daniel. She speaks to Daniel with an honesty and a candor that nobody has been able to muster with Daniel. And guess what? He can't handle it either. So, yeah. he, in, you know, he, <laughs> yeah. he, you know what I'm saying? Like, he gets to be the truth teller to Janet. But then when someone tries to be the truth teller to him, he basically says, I'm out of here. That that's that work is too hard. I'm not going to do it. Well, that's life, isn't it? We're, yeah, we're our sure. own worst. You know, we we do that every day. I mean, I know I do. That <laughs> that's why people day. become pastors, because they like to that's... give advice, not get advice. <laughs> <laughs> they could tell the pastor anything. 
I mean, honestly, Ryan, how many pastors do you know who, if they weren't preaching, would never go to church? Because they don't want to listen to someone else give a sermon. Uh, there have been many times Amy can see when I check out <laughs> in a church service. If I lean over, it's yeah. over. You know? Yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I love that juxtaposition between those two. And I think the one other thing we should talk about is the different trajectories of Tawny and Teddy. I mean, Teddy gets drunker and drunker as the episode goes on. And Tawny, meanwhile, is is on this pilgrimage to Zeke's house and, you know, is told, just say your prayers, you'll be all right, by Zeke's housekeeper. Here are two truths, capital yeah. T truths, Tony, that we take away from this episode. Yeah. Buzzed Teddy is the best Teddy. And... <laughs> Dude, faithful, by the end, faithful. he is not buzzed, man. No, I know. He's just well. That's why I said Buzz Teddy is the best Teddy. We don't need we don't need uh, shooting himself in the leg, Teddy. That's not what I'm right. talking about. Second truth: faithful Tawny is the best Tawny. Let me tell you, that's that yeah. bedside scene uh, where she is speaking to Zeke, who is dying. And then when he dies, and she prays, there is a peaceful. Yeah. There's a peacefulness to her. There's a confidence. There's an, a faithful assurance. And then she goes to his house on this journey, right, to look for this plaque. And then you have, I know you have some ideas about that, that quote unquote journey, but I just loved it. I loved the, you know, obviously the harm that Teddy's doing to himself is concerning, but I, yeah. I just kind of loved what you identified as, the, as this kind of opposite trajectory in this episode. I wonder what you thought about it. Because while, because while Tawny's sitting by Zeke's bed, it, it seems to me she's contemplating dying alone like Zeke. I mean, it turns out Zeke doesn't that have the last a nephew. Three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Like Zeke doesn't have a nephew in or a niece or whatever it is in, in Florida or, or Arizona or whatever. Be, he made it up because it's so shameful to be that alone like his wife died and now he's dying alone um and you almost see the gears turning in tawny's head like should i get back together with teddy i don't want to die alone like this guy meanwhile what she doesn't know is that teddy is who's been acting like i can handle this divorce this is the best thing in fact I'm going to initiate the divorce because I'm ready to make that more courageous decision. He's in this like self-destructive spiral that culminates with him shooting himself in the leg, injuring himself very gravely. So I don't, it, it is faithful Tawny, but she's also obviously beset with doubt and her, you know, you and I have studied enough theology to know of, Paul Ricoeur's idea of the second naivete, and that is his, yeah. his idea that when somebody goes through the crucible of doubt, they come back out on the other side with faith, but it's not like the first faith. He, that's the term, he, the, the phrase he comes up with, second naivete. And I don't know, I, I'm guessing, you know, with only two episodes left, Rectify is going to end, and we're not going to know if Tawny has come through her crucible of doubt into her second naivete. But I think it's one of the options. She doesn't seem like somebody uh, who's going to go down the path of 
nihilism and despair, which is what happens to people who go through that crucible and don't come out yeah. to the second naivete on the other side. Hey, we should also mention before we uh, throw throw it over to this conversation with Luke, he did say to us when we weren't recording that uh, another little, uh, p- you know, potentially Christian Easter egg in the show is that way back when Jared, well, this is maybe a season ago, Jared sneaks into Hannah's room uh, and gets caught by Bobby Dean. And he says, you can go ahead and take something, take it all, you know, basically. He picks up a bracelet of Hannah's and it says St. Augustine on it. And <laughs> this is a great little, uh, uh, you know, he, he Luke noticed that and he asked Scott, the writer, what does that mean? And Scott said, well, maybe it's St. Augustine, Florida. <laughs> Patron somehow of, I doubt it. <laughs> patron saint of horny teenagers. <laughs> somehow I doubt it. Yeah. Somehow I think it has more to do with Augustine's confessions. Yeah, could you uh, imagine? First great. Uh, with that type of question and answer, what our what a potential interview with Ray would be like for us? It'd yeah. just be a lot of a All, lot of dead ends. We'd have to turn and pivot to the next <laughs> question rather quickly. Okay, Florida, great. Yeah. All right, next question. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, okay. It's listen. So excited to turn this over to a professional. So you all know, uh, it's your favorite attorney. If you're ever on death row, and and your favorite Lenny Bruce impersonator from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, Luke Kirby uh, joined us. We recorded this yesterday before we recorded this intro, and we really hope you enjoyed as much as we did. So much fun. Yeah, really enjoyable. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy this conversation between us and Luke Kirby. Thanks for listening to Killer Serials. Thanks for having me. Um, I, you tell me if my sound is okay, because I could also take the pods oh, out. I think it sounds great with the, with the AirPods in. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, it sounds good. All right. Yeah. Are you in New York? Yeah, we just um, got back from, we were in Los Angeles for a little job and uh, just arrived about a week ago. Back cool. to Brooklyn, so sort of settling back into the uh, the doldrums of autumn. Yeah, is, is that a quarantine stash? You know, it's it's it, I have had a quarantine stash. I this one came on after I got rid of all my hair to sort of uh, you know round myself out a little bit. It was a little too severe. Yeah. I'm bald, um, and it's why I have facial hair to, because it's just too it's just too much. Yeah, you know? um, it, it, yeah. I'm I'm guessing it is. <laughs> but you know, would, they tell me it'll grow back. How, have, you haven't had that experience. No, I wouldn't take that risk. <laughs> if I were you, I did shave it. It did get shaved off one time. It was kind of a dare, and then it just never came back. So, oh, you know. That was my experience, but is that true? It is true, actually. I was a youth pastor at a church, and my kids raised like fifty grand for to fight world hunger. Yeah, and you know they hit the whatever threshold I gave them, and then they shaved my head in front of the whole congregation, and then no kidding, it never came back. (laughs) So I learned my lesson. Get I know. I know. For mixing commerce and hair.
It's so, true. That's what you get for trying to help people. No, it was a little bit of a Samson type situation. Yeah, exactly. And I, I paid exactly. the price. <laughs> um, but you, you know, but you got new strengths, I think. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm still searching for those. I was going to ask, my opening question was going to be something about like, are you typecast now for characters who wear skinny ties like John Stern, you know, <laughs> Lenny Bruce. That's kind of the same, they're kind of the same wardrobe. They might've saved some money on Marvelous that's Mrs. Very, yeah, Because they spent it all point. on those other set pieces. They could uh-huh. save money on your costuming. I just, yeah. like, bring those John Stern suits with the skinny ties will be fine. You know, that may well be the reason I got the job in the first place. Uh, <laughs> they saw they saw something in John Stern that reeked of Lenny. Is that right? <laughs> you know, brooding. Don't you think that they probably have something yeah. in common. You could track it. Um, I'm going to go for a thicker tie, whatever springs up next. Though. Yeah, I promise I'll give you a big fatty. <laughs> Okay, well, hey, uh, Ryan and I do this podcast called Killer Serials. We're already recording you. We really, really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Um, we have, for the last several years, been like picking shows that have deeper kind of existential, spiritual themes in them and, and you know, picking them apart. And some, some are more popular, some are less popular. And man, Rectify is the first show we've done beginning to end. And we're, uh, we're almost at the end. Um, so we appreciate Scott, you know, giving a, putting in a good word for us and you taking his, he's probably never steered you wrong. Never, ever. Only once, but that I can't mention. Might, might be twice after (laughs) this. Uh, I've actually been listening to you guys uh, through, I've listened to all of your episodes. You're our, you're our one listener. Uh, Yeah. So I'm the one, (laughs) I'm the one, although I haven't subscribed. I just, you I can't can drop that. us a rating. A I think if you if you gave us a rating on Apple Podcast, it might bump yeah. us up a little. I mean, bit. I'm a guy who I don't even have a laptop, <laughs> as you found out, so if you can imagine how good I am at rating. But <laughs> Just I give get the you five t- stars. I give, oh, I'd give you ten. Okay, I respect the uh, I respect the no laptop. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. It's yeah, I've it's been count- I, this. This is only the second encounter with. Uh, with we can't do this uh, that I've had since quarantine, trying to kind of get in touch with people. And look at you, you've got a pencil. You're super angry. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Now I have to, I do have to warn you that um, I'm nowhere near as literate uh, or erudite as you guys are. Um, uh. In fact, I'm a bit stupid, but uh, <laughs> I've got a pencil. So everybody knows I'm ready to take notes. <laughs> okay. We're just faking it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah fake it till you make it i mean here's the thing when you get a phd you realize ah you know what it's really actually not that big of a deal it's just a grind you just grind it out and they give you one it's not like it's an it's not an iq test getting a phd it's no it's just many years of trying to make one argument yeah that's right sounds yeah interesting well tell us about uh How'd you get, uh, how'd you get hooked up with Rectify? What was your, uh, entry into that show? Uh, you know, it's the usual that, you know, it was a a script that was sent to, to me from my agent. I didn't know anybody who was on board. So it was just sort of in the midst of, um, I guess it was pilot season. I don't really know because I don't seem to recall like reading any other scripts at the time. 
but it did come along in the the two scripts uh episode one and two came my way and um you know it was just one of those really rare occasions where you just felt uh so compelled by the words that you know you were reading yeah i kind of ate them up you know and the story felt um uh precious i mean that you know not in the kind of uh with any sort of negative connotation truly felt like a, a esteemable uh endeavor and um and the writing was entire, you know, the writing was so complete. I mean, that was the the, the thing that was so uh, striking about those two scripts is that they they felt complete in their writing as pieces of literature. And and so I, the biggest concern I had was is is it the right thing to even try to bring this to life? But you know, but it was so the story was so compelling that it, you know you wanted to live in that world, or I wanted to live, you know endeavor into that world. Um, so yeah, so I did the uh, usual, uh, I put myself on tape, I think, cause I live in New York and they were casting out of LA. And next thing I knew I was in Griffin, Georgia. We've heard from others that, you know, Ray is kind of this mysterious figure, this great writer and, and how, you know, that, that the, it, it was very compelling for people to get hooked up with Ray at the beginning of the show. Is that, was that kind of your experience too? Well, I met Ray at the uh, screen test and sort of felt, uh, you know, it felt as sort of uh, an immediate simpatico, just like a good buddy uh, who could kind of go anywhere conversationally. I remember something coming, somehow we got into talking about the Borg uh, from Star Trek. <laughs> and I'm not like a Trekkie, but I, but I you know, I can kind of... Uh, riff with that and i thought oh this is like an interesting dude um just had a really kind of you know obviously the scripts were incredible but also had like quite a lot going on um and you know it's that come you know when the heart is compelled you're sort of drawn to uh something like this you sort of i he became an authority in my life for the next you know mm. four years um and you know, the job of actor is you kind of are, you know, really, you know, at its when you're lucky with good writing, you really are just, you know, trying to be a conduit for whatever it is that the writers are 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 doing. And so you kind of just take that leap of faith and 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 that's really what we did. Hey, look, you were talking about I mean, just what you've said now about the role of an actor and being a conduit. You know, you've done you did rectify and we've talked about you know, we can talk about the specifics of episode 406, but I think we're yeah. also equally interested in just your experience of, of the show as a whole. And I'm wondering, um, I don't, you know, for me, Rectify sits up there as one of the top 10 shows for me, maybe top five. But there's some, there's some moments in that show, and we saw one last week, we were talking to Scott Teams about it, about just the emotion, I think, when Teddy tells Tawny that, that she can have a divorce. Like, was there a sense when you guys were shooting throughout the series that you were working on something that was really, really special? Like, you read it on the paper, but you're working together and you're creating something that damn, it's so moving. It's so it's so as Tony said, spiritual. Do you do you feel that in the moment, or is it just hey, we're focused on getting you know getting the work done? Um, I think you know with with writing like this, and then with a sort of a, a collaboration that you know 
starts with Ray and then, you know, is backed up by producers and the writing team and the cast and then the whole crew. You, you do feel that specialness. Um, but that's, it's not to say that the whole endeavor isn't truly frustrating, feels nearly impossible, uh, is, you know, baffling at best. You know, it's a, it's a, it, it didn't, it wasn't like a, a sort of smooth ride and you can never really know how things are going to be, uh, you know, how things are going to turn out. But I, you know, I think one of the things that was, you know, special about this was that we were shooting in a a very small town south of Atlanta that became our home. And, you know, we were sort of embraced by the community, but that, that town served as a kind of backdrop and a constant reminder of part of the story we were telling. I mean, when you sort of shine a light on these stories that it, it shines back in, in, in your reality. And so there, we, you know, I was in, in Griffin having all these experiences that could, you know, everything that I did felt like it should have been a scene in the show. So it felt very alive in that way. Like it, it, it uh, the story kind of was peering into us at the same time. And I, I don't think I was alone in that experience. Um, and that's pretty special, I would say. Yeah, that's that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to do a quick follow-up on that because yeah, we haven't shoot. talked about this with, with anybody, with Scott or any of the other folks we've had on. I, it made me think of this uh, other film that was fairly critically acclaimed. It came out a couple of years ago called The Rider. I don't know if either of you have seen this, but it's, um, it's by this Chinese-American filmmaker, and she basically travels around the country and she finds these communities, these small communities, and just listens to the people that live there and finds a story in that community and then shoots that, makes the film with those people. And it creates this really authentic, special thing. And Luke, it made me think of that instantly when you were talking about being in this small town. Even though you have your crew and the cast are from all over the place, you're still kind of, you're not shooting on a soundstage in LA or New York. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of imbues this sense of reality and authenticity to it. And it's interesting to hear you talk about about feeling that even as you're working on the show. Yeah, it's true. The, I mean, the aesthetic is all around you. Um, and, you know, and because of, you know, the nature of shooting, like, I, you know, I had, a, you know, every episode I had a number of days off where I was sort of just left to my own devices to wander around Griffin and, you know, you know, I was always reflecting on the scripts that we would get and they were, you know, I think you've heard this, they were always such a treat to get and just so consumable as reading material. But yeah, I would, I would, everywhere I would go, I would feel like I was, um, you know, very aligned with John Stern in, in kind of being new to a, a, a community uh, new to a part of the country that that um, that you know I was bringing my own prejudice to, and then finding out that it was far more dynamic uh, than you know than all prejudices generally allow. Um, and yeah, just made for a good uh, a good in you know for that make believe. You kind of. Uh, then when you arrive at work, it all feels pretty seamless. Um, 
I want to ask you about um, the the show that I already mentioned, which is another favorite show of mine, which is uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, only because uh, I can't think of two shows that are more different. Like the pace, the yeah. pace, especially as um, the, I don't know, what do you, what's your shorthand? You guys call it Maisel or whatever? I don't know what the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Maisel. Okay. Yeah, Maisel. Maisel is like as, as the as the seasons have progressed, it, the pace has gotten even more manic and like frenetic, uh-huh. and I, I and it's it's almost like um, as Rectify has progressed, it's gotten even slower. You think yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you end up you end an episode and you're like, did anything happen in that episode? People just talked. There was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, nothing happened but a few conversations, and even in those conversations, you're like, did but did anything even happen in the conversations? And yet, it's of course beautiful, and it's this slow burn. So, I just I'm wondering about and two very different leads that you're interacting with, you know, very yeah, it's true. I'm just wondering what's what's that That's like? Hilarious. It's got to be kind of career whiplash in some ways. Um, I mean, the real feel, I have had this conversation with, you know, friends where it's like, you know, the, the biggest criticism of Rectify was that it was too slow. Yeah. And then the biggest criticism of Maisel is it's too fast. Mm. You know, and I just am like, all right, Goldilocks, like, I just can't <laughs> get it right. Like, what do you want yeah. from me? Um, but uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's very telling. I mean, the one thing with Maisel, I feel that the, the, the kind of uh, lucky streak that I have with that is that my role feels like it's, he's a little bit in his own um, orbit. And so I don't, yeah, really I was going like to say, I, like I you have to kind of engage right. in that. Uh, that You're not in the song, song and dance scenes so much. As yeah. The, uh, that scene, by the way, that scene where there was that TV show uh, that they were shooting. Oh with. yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That was incredible. Yeah. I, it's pretty nutty uh, what they do. I mean, it's really, Gosh, it's so different, you know, the way the way we shoot on Maisel for the most part is is we try to get everything in one take, you know, all those scenes we tr- generally try to get it, you know, there's at wow. least one shot where it's all one take. Hmm. And then occasionally they'll go in closer. You know, as a kind of just to kind of rescue themselves in a in a pinch. Um and so you really have to kind of uh you know, arrive really, really kind of ready to perform. And then with, with rectify, it was a much sort of, you know, obviously a more laconic approach. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And, and the way Ray would work is he would, he's, you know, he's very specific about uh, the the words and, but especially even the kind of the cadence of of the language. And so we'll, we'll come in and kind of just, you know, edge you in this direction with each one. And I know that he would sort of sit <laughs> back in video village and, you know, each line he'd either give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to the script coordinator, just to kind of <laughs> know whether or not he got what, you know, what it was that he was, uh, he was looking for. So in, in some ways he's the, you know, he operates with a scalpel. Hmm. Um, I think can't speak for that mysterious man. Yeah. yeah. Um, Luke, this, yeah. you talk about this, the pacing, or, and Tony brings that up too, but uh, there is a sense where, and what we've admired about John Stern in this series is you are kind of the ticking clock in a way. You're kind of, 
that character is the the fuel that kind of drives the major narrative thread forward yeah. um, and this tireless pursuit of the truth. Like, what the hell happened? And for those of us who are comfortable with the slow pace, that's, you know, this show's great, right? But for those of us, yeah. too, who also like, what is going to happen? Because we, you know, we haven't watched the whole series. We're, we've got, what, two, three episodes right. left, so we don't know exactly what's going to go on. But every time you show up, I feel like, or John Stern shows up, I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn something new about what's happening. Yeah, well, I think, you know, they 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 had to be careful with the show. They didn't want it to become a legal drama, obviously. But John is a great um, foil for pushing that narrative forward. And you have to reveal something in that regard. And, and you know, I think they did it in an interesting enough way. I mean, my experience of playing him was like, as as the seasons went on, I just became more and more frustrated with this family and this town. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I was, you know, by the end, I was, I was the, the last two seasons, uh, I roomed with Scott and I would just like, I, I, I'd, I'd get these scripts and I would just be like, I, I, this, this Daniel is the worst client I have ever had. <laughs> I mean, you can't, I can't, you can't, honestly, you won't, you, you want me to sit there in the room while he ruminates with a sheriff yeah. Or, you know, well, when he gives his, uh, you know, when he makes the plea deal, like, and I just, you know, I was sort of relegated to sit there and listen to him and just sort of, in any other circumstance, I think John would have shut it down or a good, you know, a good lawyer would. Um, so it was a very, it was very, very frustrating. And the family, you know, the family, the way that they are and the, you know, you just, you just kind of, uh, from, from John's perspective, I was like, I want to shake them. Like they, they, mm-hmm. do they not see how lucky this and rare this is? I mean, it's when, you know, when you're in that, that working in that field and you understand how hard it is just to get somebody off of death row and Look, understand. You can't see it. You can't see it, but Tony's giving me the biggest, I told you so grin you have ever seen. <laughs> On any, I know Daniel freaking drives Tony's me crazy. Mind. You're reading Tony's mind. Yeah, all these other yeah. characters are evolving and developing, or devolving, as the case may be. And Daniel is like this, this freaking gravitational center rock. Who? Yes. I mean, finally in this episode in 406, finally we see. You kind of wonder, like, what the hell is Ray doing? Introducing Chloe with like five episodes left in this whole series. And then you hear her basically speak truth to him in a way that no one has spoken truth to him in the whole series in in 406. You're like, oh, okay, that's why Chloe's here. To basically tell the guy, get your ass into therapy. Like, oh, therapy is going to be too hard. I don't want to dig up all that hard. I'm like, (laughs) Don't oh my gosh! So okay, I want to talk but about that. A scene. Is, I, I mean yeah, that is ahead. the nature. Uh, that is the nature. You know the nature. Uh, I'm not a a, a a true pro on this, but I, you know the nature of trauma. Sure. You know it, it. It it is a long road to hoe, and in fact, it's probably. I'm guessing we're learning as time goes on that it's generational. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, not to make it strictly that, but. Um, 
most people don't even get out of it. So I kind of, I, I allow, I allow the frustrations with Daniel as, as an audience uh, mm-hmm. and, and as uh, you know, and, and with John, I had sort of allowed it just in the understanding of how, how, you know, it's that thing of how lucky it is just to, the fact that he's alive, just the, you know, just the, trauma that goes on a long time and i don't think you know most most people probably don't even get to deal with it most people don't have the tools most people don't know that tools are available or that it's even possible and 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 it is such a a a beast and so confounding that it's a hard thing to confront and find any sort of um release with because you know because your whole narrative of reality is tied into it and yeah it's like you know a bit like yeah. a drug so so i i kind of i allowed daniel that but but i am i was so uh found it so frustrating with him i mean i do think part of it was that you know i do think that daniel's a special character um i think you know he's he always was a certain way i think that uh i think he's J- janet's son i think janet you know the more i've kind of been i've been listening to you guys and reflecting on Janet. And I, I really think that she has, you know, I think you guys talked about her being a bit of a cipher at one point. Mm -hmm. I think they're both kind of ciphers. I mean, I think that's Mm -hmm. the kind of people they are. I think they're a little bit, you know, they're more prone to magical thinking. They're more prone Mm -hmm. to, you know, that sort of hypnotic life They're you know, they live in their imaginations a lot more, I think. Um, so anyways yeah i i, I, I kind of I, allow that you know i hear and you. then and there's I, the I, fact that that john was also you know uh bawling his sister which, you know, <laughs> well there's that <laughs> it's problematic on many levels yeah i i mean i actually have somebody in my life who had a very traumatic childhood and i'm trying to convince him to get into therapy uh, and he doesn't want to go for this exact reason of it's going to her, it's going to suck. Like it's really going to yeah. freaking suck. And I get it. So, but I'm just as frustrated with him as I am with the fictional character of Daniel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm equally frustrated with both of them, not to say that it, that's not real. And that's not a real response of, for Daniel. Okay. Here's my question. Um, speaking of those scenes where you want to like grab somebody by, by the lapels and shake, sure. there was one of those scenes with you, with, with, with John Stern and Sandra, the DA. Uh And Uh I thought one of the like interesting things about that scene was, and I don't know that, I mean, it, it, it added an edge to the scene of how John Stern kept referring to Sandra by her first name, which is so, (laughs) you know, like, first of all, everybody in the South, it's always like, miss this, Mr. That and sir or whatever. And here you're like, John Stern keeps saying like, Sandra, come on, you've got to see this or something, you know? So I'm just wondering about that scene. That was one of those scenes where John Stern was, seemed so frustrated with the way this little town operates um, and about to burst. Yeah. I mean, I think he's at his, his wits end. I mean, I think he's at his wits end by like episode three of season one. And then he's yeah. just kind of like just fraying for the rest of, you know, the seasons, just trying to, you know, and I do think that he feels really conflicted about, you know, his relationship with Amantha and what that has, you know, the kind of the complications that that's brought on. Um, you know, there's an, a whole other element of, you know, 
he knows her intimately and and he's representing her brother so his frustration you know he can't it's become so muddy he can't tell if his frustrations with daniel are because of you know his feelings about amantha and how you know confounding she is i mean the whole family is confounding to the poor guy he's really should just get out of there but but you know he's uh by virtue of this writer's room is forced to keep going back. But I do think that he, you know, he is somebody who is, you know, he's, he is a man of mission. And this, uh, this was an especially um, important to him yeah, for whatever reason. And, you know, has, um, I think he found himself inside of a, a kind of commitment that he might not otherwise feel. I mean, I think the people that do this for a living, are on a mission and and see the scope of it in a really big way in terms of you know the the change that it can provide a person but also the the world writ large but yeah uh in terms of uh, that scene with sandra i think that you know he's just trying his his damnedest to try to make things right and i think he really feels like he screwed up by by allowing that plea deal to go forward although i i, I although he I didn't really allow time, it yeah. yeah 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 exactly he didn't yeah. um and i don't think he could have found any way you know i it's uh, the endeavor of justice is like you know generally the endeavor of failure i mean it's just it has got to be the hardest one of the harder things to to do in life it you know it takes you know ray called john a marathon runner you know he's in in it for the long haul, and I and and I I do think that you know I, I sort of lamented my my state in 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 playing him because I wanted you know I wanted to I wanted to search you know the depths of my soul and my emotion and you know my um, you know that whole landscape that is within all of us. I wanted John to be able to do that, and and yet uh, you know. <laughs> He can't do that inside of this story. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are in the world doing those things and, and, uh, and are, you know, yeah, Luke, I have, uh, I, I've told Tony this before I have, I grew up in a small town in Mississippi and probably four or five of my closest friends are all attorneys and oh, wow all moved back to Mississippi and are involved in one way or another in some of the types of work that we see here and rectify. And so there's, I would say a thank you, I think for, I think representing them so well, because I mean, we can talk about the issue with Amantha, but what you just said about that kind of tireless marathon and often thankless where, and, and you're, and you're up against some, some real fundamental questions about, right and wrong and good and evil. And, you know, we, we talked about the scene a couple seasons ago, I think it was now where you have another death row inmate. Yes. Who, that's a very short scene, but it's a window into the life of somebody like John Stern, who you've had a client who's potentially been stringing you along. Yeah. Um, or you, at the end of the day, you're there with this person when, in this case, maybe it didn't, but when justice fails and they and they are at the end of their life, you know, it's a it's a special it's a special 
calling, I think, for some people. Yeah, I think it is. And 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 I don't think that it provides a lot of uh I don't think that it provides a lot of answers. Uh but it's really, you know, but I'm glad that people are out there doing it, you know. It's, all right, so I've got uh, a big picture question for you, Luke. In terms of uh, your career and the show, and this could just be, it could be a no answer, it could be totally fine, but was there something that you took away from this experience that you felt shaped you and and the work that you've done moving forward? Or is it a case where, all right, we put the bow on a really good series and kind of kind of move on? I mean, only in that, you know, it's kind of, if you, you're lucky to encounter uh, writing as good as as this and then you know you're doubly blessed to have um someone like ray at the helm and and then have all the great people behind him allowing you to make the show the way that you know they want to make it so i i i i I don't mean to be cynical but it's i think that it's a really lucky thing to to encounter that um, interesting yeah yeah but i do think that you know when when you're mining for work you know there are you know there are there you i'm always looking for something in in the writing um and but i think that i, I feel like i probably have that in common with most people so i think it's i i, I can't help but think that it's just a, a lucky thing to um to get to encounter that. I mean, you, you know, this show's really special and, um, and it's, you know, uh, there's a reason that you guys are talking about it. However long ago it was, that it was made. And I feel like it's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that people will be talking about for a long time in that kind in that way that yeah. I guess cult shows or whatever you can call it have, you know, it was not granted the, um, sort of uh, slings and arrows of uh, you know immediate fortune which is you know a whole other thing and in some ways for a show like this i think it was it was uh it was saved because of that i was just going to say you're echoing a lot of you know i'm paying a little bit more attention over the years to when people receive a lot of praise for their their work as an actor in a series or a film and, you know, people asking them why they were involved or how they were involved. I mean, it is to a person, you know, the script, it was all on the page. Like I was, I was struck by the words on the page and, you know, then you were, as you say, lucky enough to be a part of something like that. And then being the conduit for, for that writing is, uh, it, it feels like you, when you're lucky enough to be in a show like rectify, uh, I, I don't know if this is saying too much, but maybe that's like the, not the benchmark. I mean, you judge everything on its own merits, but knowing what something can be when it's really good, you know? Yeah. It gives you, it gives you uh hope for, you know, it gives you hope for, for more. You still have to go back to the salt mines. I mean, you know, this is work and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. and work, you know, work begets work. And you know, it, uh, I, I've tried to sit on my haunches at times and, and not do things. And, and, and that hasn't really provided a lot of uh, clarity either. So it, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing. Each one is a new endeavor. Each one is a new Island. 
uh, that, you know, everyone's trying to get to. And, um, so it, you know, it's just a kind of, it's just a precious moment that we got to live is my feeling. Uh, you know, I, I wish, I wish the universe was kind of, uh, you know, had a very clear ladder to just kind of climb in one direction, but just, you know, it's, I think that in terms of career, it's way more quantum than that. If you find where that ladder is, just be sure to let us know because we want to <laughs> climb that too. Yeah, we've been yeah, trying to climb that. To we've been trying to find that yeah. freaking ladder. Yeah. We can't find yeah. it. So we've got a podcast. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, everybody we've had on writers and actors from this show, Ryan and I have come away saying like, man, I just would like to like have a beer with that person, you, you know, until today. <laughs> But um yeah right yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean I feel the obviously the feel the same way about you but it would be uh uh you know we'd be eating moose in Newfoundland. Yes and some really good wine. Oh there we go. Okay. Um yeah. so there also must be something in addition to the writing of there's just must have been some magic on set with the people you're working with. I mean obviously you I assume you didn't know Scott because you said you didn't know anybody going in and by what the third season, you guys mm -hmm. are roommates and become close friends. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I think for anybody, it's not just TV. It's not just like working on a TV show or, or a movie set or something, but anybody who works in any kind of environment with other people, it, the people make it or break it, you know, your, your work experience and often the quality of, of, whatever your whatever widget you're producing so uh, there must have yeah. been something awesome about the just the the people the people you came across and got to work with yeah it's the it's i don't I, you know i don't know what it is I, it, it it feels like it's the power of the heart and uh you know it feels uh, it some uh, on occasion it really feels um instinct and this is one of those you know projects that felt that way not all the time almost none of the time in fact but mm. the you know the uh when we were going to shoot our first scene in season one we were shooting uh at a prison where daniel is released and sees his family for the first time and I think we were kind of, it wasn't Augusta, but it was like on the highway toward Augusta. And I was driving at a Crown Vic rental and I was driving along, just sort of ruminating on the whole thing, thinking about, you know, what, what John was kind of endeavoring towards with this guy. And, um, uh, a hard rain's going to fall. The Dylan song came on hmm. and, um, you know, uh, Aiden has, you know, beautiful blue eyes. And the, the first uh, line of the song is, you know, where have you been, my my blue-eyed son? And where have you gone, my darling? And, and uh, I heard, that, you know, in that I heard uh, Daniel's father uh, communicating with his boy who, you know, kind of had to venture out into this uh, nightmare scape for almost 20 years and um and it started to rain uh 
and it and for the for the and I thought that you know you just kind of laugh you go like this is stupid come on like you know who wrote this code to make it so you know baldly on this this is ridiculous you know you just never believe it when that happens and you know in 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 plays and everything and so there I was driving on this highway thinking about this kid you know who was sort of you know forced into an adventure that was going to be horrifying and 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 if you listen to that song i mean it's like the, you know the vision is is really really it's it's a nightmare escape um but there's a course of love in, in it that that um that's really beautiful. And, I, and anyway, so that was sort of like a talisman. It, it, it literally, it rained from the beginning of the song. And when the song ended, it, it stopped raining. Oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, you kind of allow yourself to kind of just, you know, let that be a, a, a talisman. And, and that anyways, I don't, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, that was kind of the, um, you know, the jumping board or whatever it is for mm -hmm. me. And, and I, I felt like my mission with John was just to kind of track this guy and, and this Daniel and, and follow him all the way to, you know, whatever, you know, whatever circle he had to go to, to kind of help him find his way out of the woods. Mm -hmm. um, Man, that's, that's incredible. Awesome. Yeah. Tony, that's, like the evidence that the universe, like, I don't like this language, but the universe kind of blessed the show and like, you know, the show, I think, returned the favor. Yeah. It's a funny thing with storytelling, with storytelling, you do are, are kind of, you know, it, 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 it can reflect back in a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. I, you know you know, for you guys, it's, you know, it's the word that is at the beginning. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like in, in, in my world of, you know, story, it's kind of very similar. Mm -hmm. it, it, mm -hmm. it provides you, um, it provides you some kind of purchase on an otherwise dark world. Well, we are so grateful for your time and, and sharing, uh, sharing with us some more insights into this show that we've grown to love. Um, it's and a pleasure. Yeah, I just really yeah, love your Luke. work on the show. And I, I echo Ryan, like whenever John Stern walks into a scene, I, I'm I like perk up a little bit. Like something something interesting's gonna happen now. Something's gonna go a little yeah. sideways or you know. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for br bringing that bringing that uh to the show. Really appreciate yeah, it. Of course. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So and I think you just gave Ryan what our outro music's going to be. So we should be good with that too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's awesome. Nice. Oh, where have you been, my blue eyes? And oh, where have you been, my darling? I stumble on the sides of twelve misty mountains I'm walking at crawling six forget highways I've stepped in the middle